Hello and welcome to Fantastic History. I'm Clay. I'm Sarah. We're a husband and wife duo who enjoy telling each other about amazing events, people, and mysteries throughout history. Sarah. Yeah? I have an interesting topic for today. Oh, well, that's a first for everything, I guess. Uh, oh, got him. I want to talk to you about hoaxes. <laughs> okay. Now, we've talked a little bit about hoaxes um, in the um, uh, Horace Vanderkoll sure. episode. Mm-hmm. But today, I want to talk about specific hoaxes. I have a list Ooh. of five hoaxes in science and archaeology. Oh, this is exciting. So I'm going to, I got five and we're going to go through them together. Because uh, it, it was hard to come up with this list because there are so many <laughs> to choose from. Uh, so it, it might be something that comes back. Sure. I'm not sure, but I hope you like these. So I'm going to start with something exciting. Okay. The rest are going to be so boring, but we're going to start with the exciting one. Well, don't give it away. <laughs> So check it out. In the late 19th century, dozens of skulls began to appear in art markets and museums and private collections. Nice. And these were not just any skulls. They were crystal skulls. Oh, for God's sake. Okay. And they were purported to have come from pre-Columbian Mesoamerica. Mm-hmm. And Native Americans used them in their rituals and tribes had all these mythologies around these particular artifacts and some crystal skulls even found their ways their their way into big museums in london and paris they are made of white or clear quartz okay and they're pretty small most of them around four to seven inches in height okay but the authenticity of the skulls has always been dubious even from the very beginning for one, none of the skulls could be traced back to a specific confirmed archaeological dig. <laughs> that seems like a huge red flag. It's a pretty big one. And secondly, the teeth of the skulls were etched too perfectly. Mm-hmm. Authentic artifacts would have these imperfections, right? Oh, sure. Due to the tools used at the time. Well, and like say they've been buried and they had to be dug up, like there's probably going to be some erosion even oh you gotta you gotta consider erosion but these didn't have those imperfections the problem was in the early 20th century the tools to confirm the authenticity of these skulls had not been invented yet sure but meanwhile anna mitchell hedges had claimed to have found another skull in an old temple in belize her skull was claimed to be up to twelve thousand years old Uh uh-huh she toured the skull around America <laughs> starting in 1960 with amazing stories of how the skull had been used by Mayan priests to perform death rituals and that the skull had mystical properties such as curing cancer and that it could give visions. So wait, you said 1960? Yes. Six zero. Yeah. Wowie. Okay, lady. Now, Anna claimed that the skull gave her a vision of the assassination of JFK. <laughs> I don't know why she didn't do something about it. but That's really very hateful. Well, she was a Republican, so. Oh. This led the belief um, in spiritual circles that the crystal skulls had supernatural powers. Mm-hmm. But as science progressed, the ability to better investigate these skulls became available. 
and experts viewed the abrasions in the forming of the details of the skulls and found they were made, that some were made using rotary tools. Uh-huh. Now, I'm going to blow your mind, but the pre-Columbian Mayans did not have rotary tools. You kidding me? Absolutely not. Huh. The Paris Museum skull was dated, uh, they, they dated the quartz using quartz hydration dating to determine it was made sometime in the 18th or 19th century. <laughs> and in 2007, Anna's crystal skull was scanned with an electron microscope and was found to be made sometime in the 1930s. So even earlier yeah. or later, rather. Yeah. The skulls are a great example of how captivated Americans and Europeans were with Native American culture and so easily tied to mysticism and the supernatural. Right. And I guess that, you know, you see things like um, Indiana Jones and the the <sighs> Temple of Doom. Sure. Which really plays like heavy handedly into this. Oh, it's a... It's 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 a it's a it's a it's a mysterious culture that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. So they must have all these they must have magic and stuff. It's racism. Yeah, it is. Um, just gonna throw that out there. No, it it totally is. But it captured people's imagination. Sure, it's just how it how it went. But the crystal skulls are not magical. Yeah, speaking of Indiana Jones, <laughs> I know one archaeologist they fooled. <laughs> That's true. Oof. Now, this next hoax. <laughs> hoax. Yeah. Yeah, hoax is plural. Now, this next hoax is the oldest on the list. It's from 1725. Oh. And it revolves around a professor named Johann Beringer. He was not a geologist, but he was fascinated with fossils. So he had hired some young boys to go find rocks for him to research. Hmm. He said, here's, some, here's a little bit of cash. Here's some cord, a nickel or whatever they did. Um, go find some neat rocks, bring them back to me, so I can investigate them because I'm interested in fossils. I just don't want to go digging around for them. Fair enough. So one day in 1725, the boys returned with an extraordinary find. <laughs> Bet many rocks depicting animals. So you know you think you're thinking fossils. Sure. And you, you, we, we've all seen fossils. We know kind of what to expect. Like trilobites, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. But these were animals in various poses. Huh. And with things like clutching eggs and spiders on their webs and different amphibians mating. Ew. Others showed images of the sun and the moon. Uh-huh. And even more shocking, some were inscribed with the name of God in Hebrew characters. That's unusual. A little bit. Mm. Now, you may hear this and think, no way. <laughs> You're correct. <laughs> but at the but this was at a time when it was not fully understood how fossils were formed. Okay. They, there were a lot of ideas about how, the, how fossils were created. And some believed that it's going to sound crazy. Some believe that God carved fossils himself. There are people today who believe that about the dinosaurs. I got to say, you're That's really true. not blowing my mind with that. That's true. Uh-huh. 
Beringer was a devout Christian and saw these findings as evidence of the divine. Mm -hmm. And as more samples were found, he got to work writing a paper that included illustrations and his findings. However, before the book was to be published, he was visited by two of his colleagues. And I'm not, now I'm not going to um, bother you with the horrible pronunciation of these <laughs> names, so I'm just okay. going to call them Roderick and Eckhart. Okay, great. Perfect. They urged him to stop the publishing of the book and that the fossils were obvious fakes. Okay? All right. Because, you know, fossils are... They, they, they come in all shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. They come... They, some are three-dimensional. Some are flat. Depends on how they're formed, right? Right. But they're rarely, like... They, they're rarely... Um, they really look like carvings. Sure. Three-dimensional carvings. Yeah. And these were that. Uh-huh. So he, he, so he said... They were telling him that they, these fossils were fake. Don't embarrass yourself. <laughs> but his relationship with these two was not a good one. Mm. They weren't necessarily friends. Right. So he dismissed them as naysayers, jealous critics who and wanting to steal his spotlight or whatever. Sure. Was it his eagerness to become well-regarded and famous that blinded him to their concern, or was he simply blinded by faith? Who knows? Right. But it would, would, it would have been wise for Beringer to consider their warnings because Roderick and Eckhart had a very valid reason for their visit. They had made the stones themselves. <laughs> okay, great. So the t- they probably know. They probably know. See, let me explain. The two had always found Beringer, because they worked at the university too. Mm-hmm. They always found him to be quite arrogant and egotistical, <laughs> like, like a like a like just just found him obnoxious, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to prank him, <laughs> embarrass him, humiliate him, whatever. So, taking advantage of his gullible religiosity and his fascination with fossils, it seemed to be a good idea to prank him in this way. Hey, it worked, but perhaps it worked too good. They were blindsided by how well it worked, and they did not expect him to take it so seriously and so far that they were, he was going to write a research paper to be published, <laughs> a book to be published for the entire world to see. Right. So I suspect their visit to was to dissuade him in part because of their guilt. Maybe they did not want to, him to make a public fool of himself. Right. And possibly part self-preservation because... When people told him, uh, someone's going to say, these are fake, mm-hmm. it's going to go back to them. Oh, sure. Well, the paper indeed went to print. Oh, God. But very shortly after, uh, Berenger figured out that he had been duped. Now, it's not entirely explained how. There's a few different stories, but the the most popular story that I saw is that... Um, he received some new stones to review and, and investigate, and he found etched in one of the fossils in Hebrew, or or among the Hebrew, his own name, <laughs> which perhaps could have been divine intervention, but probably too too on the nose to fool him. A little bit, yeah. So he tried to pull the book 
mm-hmm. but he could not. Yeah. Others who read his findings were not convinced. <laughs> no kidding. And he found himself to be publicly humiliated as expected. But he also knew who had duped him. The right. people who had come and said, please don't, please don't tell mom. <laughs> so uh, Berenger took his two colleagues to court. And this is where the name of this hoax was formed. Berenger's Lying Stones. Oh, wow. That's what it's called. The hoax. Roderick and Eckhart were publicly revealed as the fraudsters and all three suffered. Uh, Berenger's reputation was permanently scarred and yeah. his entire academic career in history has been reduced to this one faux pas. I get, but like how hard were those two guys laughing though? When they first, oh when my he, God. they first found out he was taking it that far, like they were pissing themselves. Yep, I'm sure it was hilarious. By the way, <laughs> Our dog is eating in the yeah. background, so you're just going to have to deal with it, folks. <laughs> just... And uh, Roderick was removed from the university, and Eckhart was equally restricted in his academic career. But Behringer's book lives lives on. We still have it today. It's been translated and everything, but we Oof. don't have the original stones. Yeah. But thankfully, we do have his his very detailed illustrations of them, so we know what they looked like. Oh, wow. And it's... I mean, it's it's embarrassing for him, obviously, sure. but it's a remarkable view of how paleontology was viewed in the 18th century. As I said, it wasn't quite understood how fossils were formed, mm-hmm. and this gives you like a like a an idea of how drastically ideas have changed with times, how it was rooted in a biblical understanding at first, and then moved to a more enlightened understanding. Right. Right. But this next hoax really shows how naive people would be when played into their religious beliefs. <laughs> it was on October 16th, 1869, that Gideon Emmets and Henry Nichols were digging a well on a farm belonging to a man named William Newell in Cardiff, New York, when they hit something. Clunk. What's that? They continued digging, and wouldn't you know it, they had unearthed a stone man. Okay. The figure stood 10 feet tall, and when Newell was informed, he declared that it must be a mummified giant. So he set up a tent and charged 15 cents for people to marvel at this discovery. Mm-hmm. And boy, they did. The president of Cornell University would later describe his visit. The roads were crowded with buggies, carriages, and even omnibuses from the city, with lumber wagons from all the farms, all laden with passengers. Oh, my God. It was a big deal. But upon viewing it, White recognized that this is a hoax. This is not a petrified man or giant or creature. It's a carved statue. <laughs> Here's here's what I want to know. Who would ever look at a stone man and think that's a guy in there? That's not a statue at all. Like well, what? I don't know because you got to think 1869, how many of these people have actually seen authentic mummies? Authentic preserved human beings okay but how many of them have seen statues probably 100 percent. well you're gonna see how how 
carefully this thing was prepared, but we'll get to it later. But it wasn't just like finding David, right? The statue David under there and being like, Gadzooks, this is a guy, this is a guy in a in a a posed with his hair, his hair petrified too. Look at his tiny dick. Other experts who came to examine it came to the same conclusion. Mm-hmm. This is a this is a statue. <laughs> just so stupid. But let me tell you something. The others who believed it was real, it's it's very likely that it was just that they're many of them were ignorant, as I said. I'm I'm sure. Mm-hmm. They saw this and they were like, I don't know what I'm supposed to see. I don't know what a real mummy looks like. This looks pretty good this looks pretty convincing mm-hmm. or their judgment were clouded many of them may have been convinced of this discovery because it proved undeniable proof of giants as described in the old testament okay so the giant found overnight fame and the immortal name of the cardiff giant yeah but if it was a fake why was it there to begin with <laughs> I mean, remember, they found it in the middle of a field. Right. Dig, trying to dig a well. And and, and, and it wasn't like <laughs> undisturbed dirt all around it. And and, and the guy's like, ah, just dig right, right there mm-hmm. in that freshly dug ground. <laughs> it wasn't like that at all. Mm-hmm. So how did they, how'd this happen? Well, let me introduce you to George Hall. A few years earlier, he had gotten into an argument with a Methodist reverend, Mm. and Hull was an atheist, about the claim that giants once walked the earth. And the encounter left him thinking, you know, pretty frustrated, I'm sure, but thinking about religious gullibility. So from that, he came up with the idea of a hoax. (laughs) So in carefully planned secrecy, he purchased a block of gypsum and had it shipped to Chicago, where two sculptors carved the giant. This is an expensive prank. It was. I think the amount that he spent on it was around $23,000 in today's money. Oh, my. So it was expensive. Got him. But, man. Uh-huh. It was going to be worth it. It's a hoot and a half. They, so, the, so here, here, Sarah. Yeah. They, they used stains and acids... To make it look old and weathered, wow. I think I even read that they um, that he 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 did something like he put um, knitting needles in a bag and and hit the giant a lot, like oh. ma- many times with that to create these imperfect, weird little scratches on it. Sure, to make it look more weathered. Um, but he went. They went through a lot of effort. To make it not look like a giant that you would, or, or a statue that you would see in a in a museum. Okay. It was then buried in Newell's Field in November, eighteen sixty eight, a year before he would hire Emmons and Nichols to dig the well in that exact spot. <laughs> oh my god! Well, it wasn't long before the truth of the hoax was revealed. But because the giant had fooled so many religious people, even Newell's own admission likely would not have mattered. Shortly after it was unearthed, the giant was sold. Actually, I think I might have gotten that initial number wrong, mm-hmm. but it was less than twenty-three thousand because it was sold for twenty-three thousand. Oh boy! And it was shipped to Syracuse for display. 
Now, this was around the time that another notable figure heard of the giant and was very interested. Though not because it, he thought it held any religious value. His name was P.T. Barnum. That would have been my second guess, yeah. <laughs> and he saw dollar signs. <laughs> Always. Everywhere he looked. <laughs> but those New York businessmen refused to sell the giant for $50,000. Wow. Yeah. Well, he did the only logical thing he could. <laughs> he sent an associate to the exhibit, and he got a wax mold of a smaller replica of the giant. And then he used advertisements to determine the real size. Oh. And then Barnum used this data to create his own Cardiff giant. Incredible. And then he called his the authentic giant and the <laughs> other one a fake. <laughs> this is great. He really was the greatest showman. It was great. <laughs> now, when the owner of the legitimate giant, a man named David <laughs> Hannum, was asked why so many people would see Barnum's fake over his, Hammond... Famously responded, there's a sucker born every minute. Wait a minute. Barnum stole that shit, too. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's messed up. Now, we don't know exactly. I, I looked at this phrase and the history of it. We don't know exactly where it came from. I but... almost said it a second ago. Yeah. I almost said it. And I was like, shut up. Just listen. <laughs> I cannot believe that. Yeah. I I think this is where it came from, but it could have come from somewhere else. <laughs> Who knows? Messed up. But it's it, but it's 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 great. The wonder of the giant eventually fell out of favor as the amount of suckers who were fooled by it slowed and trickled. Mm -hmm. It exchanged hands a few more times before being sold to the Farmers Museum in Cooperstown, New York, where it is still displayed today. So wait, you can go to the Baseball Hall of Fame. And see the Cardiff Giant in one afternoon? Yeah. Um, book and plane tickets right now. I mean, it's there. That's crazy. It's pretty neat. You can see it. So that's one story of a prehistoric man. But would it blow your mind if I had another? No. Oh. This comes from 1912. And that is when an archaeologist named Charles Dawson claimed to have found the skull of what appeared to be a very early man, but not fully human. Mm. It appeared to be the missing link. Oh, that guy. Between apes and humans. Dawson contacted Arthur Smith Woodward, who is the keeper of uh, geology at the Natural History Museum in London. Together, they further investigated this site in Pilton, East Suffolk, they found more. They found teeth, a jawbone, and some uh, remains of primitive tools. Possibly used by whoever this was, right? Reconstructing the skull fragments, Woodward hypothesized that this individual may have lived nearly 500,000 years ago. Hmm. That's a long time. Yeah. Together they announced the discovery at the Geological Society meeting the very same year, and while there were skeptics, most accepted the finding as legitimate. <laughs> the story was a big break, not only for Dawson, but for Darwin. Right. The missing link was a big deal, right? Oh, sure. And it made big news. And Dawson rode this wave of fame into a very nice career, joining the Geological Society and the Society of Antiquaries of London. But there was a problem. 
that would unfortunately come to light long after Dawson had passed away. Oh, well, uh, you know, he's got that going for him, at least. Yeah. In 1949, new dating technology had been invented, and what had become known as the Pilton Man, Piltdown Man, right? That's where he was found. The Pilton Man was tested. The remains were only 50,000 years old, not Uh, 500,000 years old. And this led to further testing when it was discovered that while the skull was human, the jaw was not. It belonged to an orangutan. Mm-hmm. And to ensure this was not not a simple mistake, uh, albeit a very impossible mix-up, mm-hmm. uh, it was also discovered that the teeth had been filed down to appear human. Goose sake. The Piltdown Man was a deliberate hoax. But who was the mastermind of the hoax? Well, we're not entirely sure. There was a little bit of debate on that because Dawson was the obvious suspect. Mm-hmm. But there were others who were considered to be part of it, including Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh, man. Come on. And Horace Vanderkoll. <laughs> See, okay. I believe Horace Vanderkoll. <laughs> I think... Arthur Conan Doyle is very likely to be like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I definitely believe in this. This is 100% real. But I don't think he's the sort of person that would, like, pull that kind of crap. There was a good reason that was explained why, but I didn't look too deeply into it. Mm. I apologize. That's okay. But I agree with you. I don't necessarily think. I mean, he he might have. Dawson made fun of the fairy thing, and he's like, I'm going to get you. Yeah. I'm going to get you. Well, Doyle was not necessarily pleased with the scientific realm. Oh, no. We we definitely talked about that. So that may have been a way to sort of stick it to science. Like how gullible they, they believe that this ape is, is a man. If you think ghosts are fake, you'll probably think this monkey's a guy. Right. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Love you, Art. And in 2003, further research had discovered that Pilton Man was not Dawson's only illegitimate archaeological discovery. Oh. In fact, much of his academic career and work were discovered to be fakes. Okay, so probably he did it. Yeah. Pilton Man had a severe impact on science. Not only had it led scientists down the wrong path for half a century, it also gave ammunition to creationists Uh who did not believe in evolution. Yeah. Not a good thing. No. Now, my last list, my, my last thing on this list is called the Himalayan hoax. And I'd never heard of this before, before starting this research. Mm-hmm. The others I had at least heard of. Sure. But this was new to me, which is unfortunate because it's a modern hoax. And it is about as egregious a fraud as the Pilton man. Uh-oh. The man who d- committed this fraud was, and I apologize, it's an Indian name, and I'm very bad at Indian names, but I'll do my best. Vishwa Jit Gupta. Okay. And he was um, a paleontologist. He began working on his doctorate in the 1960s, and since then had written hundreds of research papers on the geology and fossil records of the Himalayas. Okay. His research proposed many fossils found in the area that were previously thought to be native to other parts of the world. And this shifted scientific understanding of geology and evolution, not only in this area, but in general. 
but an Australian geologist named John Talent, who had been following Gupta's research, was not buying it. He believed Gupta's uh, findings were so unbelievable that they were unbelievable. Uh-oh. He said that if one to, were to believe in these discoveries, it'd be like believing kangaroos were native to Kashmir. <laughs> wow. Okay. Which they are not. No. So he dug into Gupta's research and gathered enough evidence that he believed he could prove that he was a fraud. And he decided to publicly expose him at the International Symposium of the Devonian System in Calgary, Canada in 1987. Oh, bother. Where Gupta would also be in attendance. So you can just imagine the scene. He's in attendance. He's sitting right there in the audience. Uh Talent goes up on stage and he shows the attendees the evidence that he had discovered, including example, uh, for example, fossils that Gupta had claimed were found in the Himalayas side by side with fossils found in Morocco. And they were identical. Uh oh. Like not just the same kind of fossil, the exact same fossil. Oh. Oh dear. That's not not good. No. Gupta was so infuriated that he <laughs> left the auditorium only to return shortly after and try to assault <gasps> talent. <laughs> now, the fallout was not immediate as news. In the world of science, sometimes it's difficult to break into the mainstream because people don't really understand it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But news of the fraud did soon go worldwide with talent pointing his finger with one hand and holding a large suitcase of evidence in the other. Oh, dear. Right? Yep. While Gupta defended himself and accused talent of fame-seeking and jealousy. But few in the industry could argue against talent's evidence. Even Gupta's own colleagues admitted that they were suspicious of his behavior with fossils claiming that he had found, but they took him in good faith because, you know, he was a respected professor. They admitted that Talent's criticisms were well-founded. Mm-hmm. The Journal of Geological Society of India advised its readers to ignore all the research papers published over the past 21 years by <gasps> Gupta. Oh, God. And he was suspended by his university in 1991, but a vice chancellor actually reinstated him the following year. And in 1994, he was found guilty of plagiarism, data recycling, and conning scientists. Uh-oh. But despite being being unable to become a dean, he had been restricted from that at least, he stayed at the university until he retired in 2002. Oh, wow. After misleading scientists for decades and, again, leading research in this area of the world in the completely wrong direction for a quarter of a century. Yikes. And as crazy as this is, it gets better. Talent claimed in an interview that Gupta had made death threats against him. One of of Gupta's assistants who stated that they had evidence against him was the next day killed in a hit and run. Oh, my God. The authors of a scathing... And worldwide um, expose that was circulated in the Courier newspaper. That 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 that's that kind of what gave it. It's like worldwide it get the most attention. Sure, they were targeted as well. Oh, Talent claims that a few days a- after Gupta offered money to anyone that would hurt them, one of their mothers was struck in a hit and run where her arms, legs, and eight ribs were broken. What the fuck? Yeah. 
Now, I could only find Talent himself making reference to these incidents. So, take it with a grain of salt if you want. Oh, my. But I think it's delicious as is. Get out. So, those are my five hoaxes in science and archaeology. And there'll probably be more because it's fascinating. And people are full of it. They always have been. Oh, yeah. There, there's lots of fraud out there. You got to be really careful, but some mm-hmm. of it's pretty funny. Yeah. Like the Cardiff Giant. Yeah. So that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Um, help me out, Sarah. I didn't write it down. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for giving us a little bit of your time today. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you did, go ahead and give us a five-star rating on yeah. whatever podcast platform you use. Whichever one you use. It, you know, you can leave a rating and review on every single one of them. You can also find us on Instagram at Fantastic H Pond. Yes. You can find us on TikTok at Fantastic History Podcast. Yes. You can find us on YouTube at Fantastic History Podcast. Yes. You can email us at fantastichistorypod at gmail.com. That's right. I think that's all of them. And there, as always, will be a link in the show notes to the Etsy page. Yes. And there'll be lots of pictures of all these frauds. And uh, you can enjoy them on our Instagram as well. And until next week, see you.